well. Concerned about Danny Ings, however. Yeah, likewise. So what were you? You were the editor of the Premier League's website? Yes, yeah. I covered Saints for the Southern Daily Echo for about 13 13 years. Then I went to work as the club's... uh, I was managing editor of the club's website and programme... Um, I mean, nowadays they've got a media team of 16, 17, and in those days it was just me. Wow. And I had to do the whole of the website and the whole of the programme, and I had to fight like hell to get an assistant. Then I had about three, three and a half years, I would guess, as editor of the Premier League website, and now I lecture in sports journalism at Selwood. Yes, you are not the first um, poacher-turned-gamekeeper. I've spoken with Adam Powley and Kieran Maguire and Adam Pendlebury who is an Oldham fan. So there is, and, and of course, Anthony Clavain, whom you may know very well. Yeah, I know, yeah, a few times, I wouldn't say I know him well. Yeah. If anyone is better uh, pressed to talk about Southampton Football Club, um, it's the man who co-authored Taking Latiss, which um, is my, one of my favourite football autobiographies, because I knew a bit about Matt Letissier, everyone does. But, did you compile all of the bits? That, I had the paperback. Did you compile all of the appreciations at the back of the paperback? Yes, I did. Yeah, that, that was my idea as well. So it, it just seemed a, a good thing to do. I think more biographies should do that. A, word count. But B, it means that the book must sell more. Because even if you've Absolutely. got the hardback, you're, it, it's like putting your name on a brick in the, at St Mary's. Yeah, it, it guarantees sales apart from anything else because everybody wants, loves to see their name in print. I, I, it makes it more personal as well. And I think for a player like Matt Letizio, where he's he connected with people both on a human level and with the, his talents, he was one of those players that everybody would love regardless of who they support. I think in that sense, he had that, that much more of a connection. He was down to earth. He was the sort of bloke that you could imagine having a, a laugh within the pub because he could laugh at himself. It would, I don't think it would work necessarily for, for all players. Uh, the, the ones are a bit more remote, but I think he just had such a connection with football fans across the board that I think it worked. Have you heard the Football Book Club's uh, exegesis on taking Latisse? Are you aware of this? No. The Football Book Club are uh, four comedy writers, including James Bug and Jack Bernhard, whom I've had in the football library. And they lovingly approach footballers' memoirs and try and fill it the best bits. And they do, obviously, they respect Matt Letizia a lot, because if you're talking 90s footballers, I think Letizia's number... He must be number one. Can you think, if I say 90s football to anyone, it's someone who's a one-club man who put Guernsey on the map... And I'd certainly recommend listening to it. They're very warm. They, they rehearse all the fab anecdotes that you must have known about when you went in to collaborate with him. Yeah, there, there was yeah, probably one or two I didn't know about, but uh, I, I, I knew most of them. And obviously, they, I, I can't say them now, but there were some that got taken out of the editing stage I would have certainly well. said would have been libeled out, yes. Yes. Uh, and, and that was disappointing. It was disappointing as a, as a writer... Uh, I think it was disappointing for Tiz as well. Um, and I, I had a few battles with the uh, editor that was uh, kind of in you know, overall charge of it. 
some are one, some are didn't. There was a, a, they were very, very nervous about uh, lawyers, Bible, any legal implications. Even, and I can understand the sections on Bruce Grobelara and all the rest of it. I can understand that being being changed and watered down. Uh, because he was I, on so we should uh, say because he was on trial for match fixing in the nineties and he was I think he was fined like that, a quid something stupid. Uh, yeah, he, he 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 won the original case and then Son appealed and eventually he was he was awarded damages of, of you know, technical damages of a pound. Yeah. That was watered down. Uh, what I found much harder to accept was some of the the, the watering down and the dumbing down. I've, I've tried to write it. I suppose, as, as I would do as a journalist. I've, I felt that I got the tone about right, but the, the editors did dumb it down to make it uh, more suitable for widespread consumption mm-hmm. um, and dumbing down some of the language. And But, for instance, there was there was one section that I, I remember vividly when, I, when the proof came back, and he changed it. And the story was that Matt Letizier, it was his best ever chance of reaching an FA Cup final because... We'd been drawn away, drawn at home to Norwich in the quarterfinals, uh, drew 0-0, and then went for the replay. But by then, we'd been drawn against Sunderland in the semi-final, who were then uh, a lower division team. And so it was a a completely clear route to the FA Cup final. Tins got himself sent off. He got suckered into a, a, a kicking out and got himself sent off. And... So I wrote about his reaction, and it came back. And I remember the sentence saying, "I sat in the dressing room feeling dead annoyed with myself." And that's not something that any footballer would ever say, let alone Matt Letizia. I sat in the dressing room. He'd been sent off in an FA Cup quarter final, mm-hmm. the chance of Wembley. Asterisk. You're you're a little bit more than dead annoyed. That's very interesting. I've just read Pat Nevin's autobiography, which is one of the best books I've ever read. Not just because, like Pat. Um, I wouldn't cut it in the working man's dressing room. And I'm, I was a bit late for John Peel. But this book, this memoir is one of, it's Eamon Dunphy, Neville Southall class. To compliment yours, uh, taking Latisse, which you wrote with Matt Latissier, who was a Southampton footballer, for those who don't know, but you should if you're in the football library. Um, <laughs> I think I, maybe I should call the cafe the Matt Latissier Cafe, uh, because he's, isn't he known for stopping off on the way to the game and having a fry up? Wasn't that his shtick? Uh, usually um, at McDonald's. And not, and not always on the way to the game, but certainly on the way to training. And there's a, there's a great anecdote in the book where he, the, the club had brought in a, a dietitian, and they had to monitor he had to monitor everything that he ate for a fortnight. And that was called in for his meeting. And the dietitian looked at him and said, I have honestly no idea how you're still alive, let alone playing football at the top level. <laughs> well, Maybe he isn't a mystery in an enigma because he is a bloke who turned down moves to, I guess you can fill me in, but Tottenham, Liverpool, Man United all wanted him? Uh, Tottenham and Chelsea for, for definite. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he did turn down moves to, to both of them. He got very close, actually, to signing for Tottenham because they were his schoolboy team. They were the, And he actually agreed to sign for them, signed a document, a, a pre-transfer agreement that he was going to go at the end of the season. It was stuck in a drawer, ready to be announced at the right time. And in the last couple of months of the season, slightly cold feet, best of the devil you know, whatever, however you like to phrase it, he changed his mind. And, you know, I think home life came into it. 
in fact, he loved the city, loved the club, and he decided to stay. So he phoned them up, and they tore going to have to tore up the agreement, and um, he stayed. I don't think he's ever regretted it. People always ask him uh, whether he felt he should have moved, he could have won more titles. I I don't think it would have worked for him. I think some players are just right for some clubs, and that's not doubting him on his ability in any way, because I think he had the ability to play for any club in the country, and possibly even the world. I, I genu- And I know I'm biased, mm-hmm. so I've wrote his book and I've been mates with him for years, but I genuinely think he is one of the most naturally gifted players I've ever seen. But we all know that his work ethic uh, was not necessarily what a lot of the top clubs would have been looking for. Now, I actually think he, he worked a lot harder than people gave him credit for. He, he had, yeah, and he played up to the image of being a little bit lazy. And I remember a fantastic clip on uh, on Sky where they, they were televising a game live and they, they zoomed in on him. And he just yawned in the middle of a match. So he gave the, that, that image of being a little bit lazy. But I'll tell you what... If there was a ball to be reached with a chance of scoring a goal or creating a goal, he would get there. He would work so hard. He would he would give everything to get to that ball. But he used his energy in the right times, in the right ways. Yeah, he, he did have that image of being lazy. And I, I think had he gone to a Man United, he would have been forced to work harder. Not necessarily better, but work harder, that would have inhibited him. I think it would have taken away his uh, some of his joy of the game because you know, he didn't enjoy the running and the tracking back. He, as I say, he used his energy in the right ways. So I think he would have been unhappy if he'd gone mm-hmm. to another club. Uh, also, at Southampton, he could have the odd game where he didn't do it, the odd two or three sometimes in, in a row, uh, where it didn't quite well go for him. And he would always stay in the team and he would always be loved and he would always be the kingpin of the side. I think if he'd gone to a Manchester United or Liverpool, you'd have one bad game and be out of the side for six, seven, eight weeks longer because you know that there would be quality players coming in, taking your place and holding that place and you then have to wait a long time to get back in. Whereas at Southampton, you knew that he was always going to be the number one. Who's the only man to have saved a Matt Letizia penalty? <laughs> Mark Crossley. Correct, 10 points. Yeah, he was lethal from the spot, lethal from, from free kicks, but he, that was also part of his character, that that joy of the game, uh, that ice-cool composure. It, as I say, when a, a chance would come along, he'd just take it uh, instinctively. He was one of the most instinctive players uh, I remember seeing. You know, I'd watch him in training and it would take your breath away some of the things that he would do. Um, I remember once it was a ball played in on the right and he just um, and he was just stood there and it was the ball was slightly behind him so he flicked his foot out behind him flicked it over his head and without moving from the spot just followed it into oh, the net from so. about 20 yards and it was just you think I don't know even know how you do that. I was just thinking, nowadays you have the expected goal system and there's a reason why England's goals are all from about three yards out because you're more likely to score the closer you are to the goal. If you add up all the expected goals 
uh, that Matt Letizia scored, apart from all the penalties, or maybe including the penalties, but he must have, to use the modern parlance, vastly exceeded his expected goals tally with his actual goals tally. I'm old enough, I'm not that old, but I, I am old enough to remember the blockbuster hits from 30, 40 embarrassing Tim Flowers yards. Yeah. And yeah. there is a danger that that era will not mean anything because Jude Bellingham was born in 2003 and even Ronaldinho predates the TikTok techers era. So we're gro- kids are growing up seeing Neymar as the technician and then this bloke Matt Letizia is just a guy who goes, ah, oh, Jeff, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, so yeah. if you could just... Imagine he's in this team with James Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings in front of him and the great Jan Vestergaard behind him, of whom more shortly. That Southampton would not be a lower mid-table side. No, uh, uh, this expected goals in which I, I, I find a little bit weird, to be honest, but it's especially having, having watched a player like Matt Letizia, because I, like, you make a really good point. I don't think any, most of his goals would have been cast as expected goals. It would be totally unexpected. Like you say, he'll ping one in from 35 yards against Tim Flowers and knew exactly what he was doing and where he wanted to place it. Some of the, the free kicks and the, the shots that he's taken and the ones that are completely out of the blue, I don't think they would ever class as expected goals. And that really was, was his strength. And you also make a good point about some of the players that weren't even born when he was in his pomp. Uh, I... I teach the next generation of sports journalism students at uh, Southern University. Intakes now, the last couple of years, weren't even born again yeah. when he was in his pomp. So we, we have to show, because he's, he's a good friend of Solon, and he'll come in and he'll be interviewed by the students and help them with their projects. And, and But we have to introduce and show them the, the YouTube clips of his, of his the compilations of his greatest goals, which is always a joy. And the ones that don't know of him, they just... So they're open-mouthed. Oh, for sure. And it's it's delightful that we have taking Latisse in the football library. It passes the Vardy line, which is the term I use for the quality of autobiography that gets into the football library. Um, Jamie Vardy, because of his story, not because of his footballer exploits, but because of the background that he comes from, makes it into the library. Uh, you can find it six ninety nine on Kindle, although second-hand you can get it for a very good price. Published in 2009 on Harper Sport. Uh, and this was a very busy period for you because you'd just come off working for the club uh, where you were working for the club website uh, and you published two books with Pitch, The Miscellany and On This Day. Um, those must have been enormous fun to put together. What's it like putting together one of those kind of books? <laughs> hard work. Yeah, I, I bet. You, honestly, really, really hard work. You spend hours doing the, the research and uh, I'll be honest, uh, you, uh, Cribs them off uh, the club's historian. Duncan Holly uh, has put together some magnificent books uh, and now and, and has a, a website as well where you can look up any former Saints player. There's, there's photos. We're talking on the 5th of July, which is the day that The Athletic have reported that Danny Ings has turned down a very good contract because being ex-Liverpool and ex-England, um, he rather wants to play in European football. Um, Watford are looking for a striker if he is so inclined, but I think he'll probably want to stay on the South. Spurs need a striker. Man City need a striker. I think Man City should come in for him. Yes. It, if he goes to Manchester City, 
it depends on, on in what capacity, whether whether he's going to go there and play regularly. I'm not sure that anybody really plays regularly at Manchester yeah. City because in the same way we were talking about that is there's such a policy now of rotation, such depth in reserve. Um, I personally would be disappointed if you, and I understand why, and you want the medals and everything, but if you go to a Manchester City and you know that you're going to sit on the bench or be used as a cup player, I find that hard when any player does that. Um, I don't like the thought of him going to Spurs, but if they were to sell Harry Kane and they were to assure him that he was going to be number one and he would play every week, then kind of accept it. Yeah. Although, again, that, that the other side of the coin is that, in my opinion, if you're talking about winning trophies and medals, I don't think that's going to happen at Spurs. Amazing. So, well, we, we, a lot can happen in the next couple of months or so, but Danny Ings really is the beating heart of Southampton, and without him, uh, I don't know, thin ice, I think. For, if you can't replace Danny Ings, I think you might be one of the three lesser teams in the division. But it's going to be a very interesting season for Southampton. There seems a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but where can you go for uh, the historical aspect of football? It's saintsplayers.co.uk. Fab. I will go there. But why would I want to do that when I can read your miscellany? I can go Saints <laughs> on this day. I don't know if you've got that to hand. Uh, I have, but I can probably remember bits and pieces. The, going back to what you were saying about putting it together, it, it was phenomenally hard work. And one of the hardest things then was not to replicate content in, in both of them uh, because there were certain things that you... It could be the, the Matt Letizia missing the only penalty of his career. Um, things that probably need to be in both. Because um, you can't assume that people are going to buy both. But equally, you don't want to be too repetitive for people that do. That that was hard. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's a fascinating process trying to, trying to put those together. Well, thank goodness you did. And I noticed that that seemed to be Pitch's metier in the early days when Paul and Jane set it up. There seemed to be a lot of on this day's club-specific books, and then it was Got Not Got that was their first non-club-specific title that has now helped the dam break. And apart from one book about the FA Youth Cup that I'm writing, all of their titles are worth it. I was going to ask you if you've ever been to any Youth Cup finals. No, I, I didn't. The one time we, we made it, it was um, because at that point I had managed to, to get an assistant um, and just for, for a little bit of background on, on what I did, obviously I... I I covered Saints for the Southern Daily Echo for about 13 years. Uh, I went to work for the club, and that was both as, as managing, well, the title was managing editor. Um, didn't read the contract closely enough, by the way, because um, I didn't realise I was going to be working six days a week. I thought I might get a day off, but I didn't. Good, and, good lesson uh, for I anyone. Also, yeah, also didn't read the contract closely enough because it was only about six months later when I did read it that I noticed that the actual job title was Ticket Office Manager. And so joys of cut and paste putting it together and combined with uh, me not reading it carefully enough. And who was in charge uh, of the club then? Uh, that would have been Rupert Lowe. OK, and again, I, I fear slander laws, so we're going to gloss over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Read the book. Um, yeah, the thing about Rupert, and like you said, obviously libel laws, and he, he is quite litigious. The thing about Rupert is... I got on with him okay, particularly in the early days. It did allow me a certain amount of freedom uh, with the website, which you would never, ever get now 
Uh, I certainly didn't get under the uh, the new regime that were, the takeover came. But I was allowed to write a comment column called Highly Controversial. Oh, good. And, yeah, 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 I've done this at the Echo, and then I carried it on at the, at the club. And it was, a, it was a really good vehicle for being able to kind of get across sometimes the, the club's point of view if they wanted to have a bit of a row with another club um, but didn't want it to be seen to be official. Uh, it was a way of, so for instance, the four ticket allocation that we got for the final game of, uh, of Main Road because City obviously wanted all of their fans in uh, or as many as possible to, to see the final game and were trying to deny us a, a right for ticket allocation uh, as we saw it. Uh, the difference in price, the fact that Style Bucharest charged our fans way more than they did their home fans. And so things like that, we could we, you know, do a controversial column. Equally, I was able to steer fans in the right direction about signings or the transfer rumours, and you know, they would read between the lines and know whether it was likely to happen. I, and equally, I was able to write proper, proper match reports about the team. And if they played badly, I was allowed to say so. And I could be as critical as I wanted to, and as long as it was fair and honest and appropriate. And to be fair to him, Rupert let me do that, although he did make it clear that uh, I wasn't allowed to criticise him. But I could criticise the team and, and other elements of the club. And... It's, it's, it was honest journalism. But of course, knowing that the players would read it and think, hang on, hang on, let me tell you about this. Because you would have this eye, because you'd covered them uh, for the press, you wouldn't fib in print if it weren't true. Um, but this was when Southampton were doing relatively well. Well, apart from yeah, almost going well, down. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they moved to St Mary's and, yeah, they, they'd obviously then got, we thought we'd put the, uh, the relegation battles behind us for a while anyway. Uh, yeah, the, the team were, were doing well, but obviously you'd never get any kind of um, column like that on, on, a, on an official club website anymore now, which is, which is disappointing. In fact, when, when the takeover happened, I hadn't quite tweaked that um, the new people might not have quite such a, a tolerant attitude to it. And uh, I remember first day of the takeover, and I almost got the sack because I wrote a, an in-depth piece kind of charting the, the takeover and, and how it had all happened and reasons for it. And if I had given away way too much and was hauled in front of the, the new chairman, uh, yeah, given a right mm-hmm. telling off. Were you dead annoyed? I was dead annoyed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was dead annoyed as well when I wrote a, uh, an honest match report. We played QPR and... Uh, Kelvin Davis had, had made a horrible mistake, and I'd put in the match report because it, it, it was a howler. And I was the new chairman made me go, or the CEO made me go down and uh, to the training ground and apologise to him for, for putting that on the website. You, know, you do what you do, kids do, when it's, it's not a real apology. And I said, I gather I'm supposed to apologise. He said, Well, I think that should have been on the club website. I said, But it was a howler. He said, Yeah, I know that, and you know that, but you know, it shouldn't be on the club website. So. It was, um... mm. No, well, this is a problem. Um, Kevin Affleck is now the head cheerleader. Sorry, I'll read that again. Um, the online editor for Watford Football Club. He used to 
um, watch Watford in the days when we weren't doing so well and now we are doing very well and I look forward to hopefully going down to St Mary's next season if not watching the game on telly. Um, I was walking back from somewhere and I was listening. It was Watford Southampton and I was listening and they crossed over to the Vic and I couldn't believe that there'd been that goal. Was it Shane Long after about three seconds? So we have some unfinished business with Southampton, although we did luckily get a 2-2 draw after the hand of Ducore. With the hand of handball goal, yeah. The hand of Dukes, um... yes. Um, so, but on paper, your side is brilliant. You've got an England goalkeeper in McCarthy. Festergaard, who we're speaking two uh, days two before. England, two England goalkeepers. Uh, you... England, with Fraser Forster. Oh, yes, of course. I associate him more with Celtic now. Um, yeah. Great back line. And um, you've got James Ward-Prowse, not good enough to be in the England squad. No, I, I was very disappointed about that. And obviously it's hard to knock Gareth at the moment because of the, the job that he's doing. And I think he's doing a fantastic job, both not just as a manager, but as a as a person yep. and, and a yeah, leader. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, anyone that follows me on Twitter will know my political views, but I, I think he's much more of a leader for this country than... than probably what we've got at the moment. I have a feeling uh, he will wear a mask. Born in Watford, by the way. He moved away, but he did grow up here. (laughs) Well, I I do genuinely think that uh, James Ward-Prowse should have been in the English squad. I I think he deserved it. And I think he's he's set... Although people talk about set-piece delivery, he's so much more than that. He's set the tempo, the amount of work that he gets through. And from a club point of view I'm actually quite pleased that he didn't make it because yeah, I'm the rest. yeah correct yeah. but they've chosen the Wolves captain Cody they chose Henderson the Liverpool captain um, why not choose Ward-Prowse as well he wants to go Foden Grealish the Aston Villa captain um, it's looking good part of me hopes we don't win it just because I can't imagine the bloviation afterwards and the, the political nonsense that will come after it my favourite question will be so Marcus Rashford what are you going to say when you meet the Prime Minister well, do you know what I hope? I, I, because obviously, they, if they if they do win it, there's going to be a, a reception at Downing Street, and they'll pose for the PR pictures. And there's going to be one anyway. Uh, Semi finals. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's never shown any interest in in, in football. Um, but do you know what I hope when they pose for the photo outside Downing Street? I hope they all take the knee. Mm-hmm. I bet they're planning that's to what do. I would, Very good. That's what I would like to see. Uh, and then Boris has a decision to make. Indeed, he says he doesn't believe in gestures. Says the man standing on a cross of St George outside, outside Downing Street. Oh, and, the and again, the library is not a political place. But then, when you've got Johnny Nick, John Nicholson on the front desk, uh, going and he goes round just offering tea and hoping that you can find everything. I'll read. Um, and then say, oh, by the way, have you heard what Sky are doing now? John Nicholson's work on Football Three Six Five. I imagine you read. Uh, uh, occasionally when I get the time um, at the moment um, the last month or so I've been absolutely exam uh, season oh yeah it's awful yeah, the, the, that, that month at the end of the academic year uh, literally don't know if you're coming or going Oh, boy. I remember my own name sometimes well so Southampton Solent which is best known for being the alma mater of Chris Stark you may know um, yeah is it is it one of the better universities for sports journalism? Obviously, I'm going to say yes because I, I, I work there. That's what's um, known as a leading but, question. <laughs> but uh, I would genuinely say so anyway because it's staffed by people that have worked in the industry for many many years, uh, and 
we know the industry standard that people have to get to. One of the hard things is students that will come in and think that because they're paying £9,000 a year that they've automatically bought themselves a press pass for life at Old Trafford. Um, and it doesn't quite work like that. You, you have to put in the hard yards. You have to, mm. to learn. You have to take on board feedback. And you have to work hard. And anyone that's worked in journalism will tell you that although it's fun, although it's the greatest profession, and obviously if you can't play at the highest level, um, then it's the next best thing. But bloody hard work. Yeah. You, but... you, you miss birthdays and Christmases and anniversaries, often at short notice. You you work through the night, you travel, you get back from an away game at three o'clock in the morning and then have to write a match report and all you want to do is crawl into bed. But it's the greatest career. You go places you never thought you'd go, you meet people you never thought you'd meet. Uh, it's greatest privilege. Correct. And that's why it's been delightful having some real sea dogs in the library. Uh, I wrote a piece for, for the anniversary of the library and I realised that if you add Patrick Collins and Paddy Barclay's experiences, you get 100 years. So that was <laughs> that kind hard. of... And Mike Calvin as well has been there 50 years. You must have come across Calvin in press boxes oh, yeah, in the yeah, past, yeah. yeah. Again, it frightens us sometimes when we look at the, the number of years of experience on the teaching staff on the Solon University Sports Journalism course and... It literally adds, I think there's only a team of about six of us, and between us we've got over 200 years of experience. It's like Italy's back line. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) although not quite as fast. No, definitely not. (laughs) Well, um, I'll go down to the New Forest and find out. Um, Who have you taught? Has anyone graduated to a a website or a, a newspaper of style? Well, Dan Sheldon, who's doing very well for The Athletic, moment uh taught him a couple of years ago he's he's done remarkably well uh joe tomlinson the, the Mourinho spoof fame um but we've got an, an awful lot of students right across and uh, they've gone into uh, you've got you know, liam morgan who works for inside the games and travels all over all over the world if there's a, any kind of competition he's there it's a complete range from club media to uh, national newspapers and TV, Kenzie Benali, who's uh, yes. Francis Benali's daughter, uh, and doing very well for herself, for her as well. Just been signed by uh, Dean well, Eldridge, I should mention. Dean was one of the first ones in. He helped Emil Heskey write his book. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've got a very good track record of, of getting people placements in uh, in industry. Uh, but as I say, it's it's the ones that work and, and have that work ethic and that appreciation that, that will do well. When Southampton try and persuade young players to sign for them, apparently the video that they show is basically Gareth Bale went here. You know, Gareth Bale came through here. Gareth Bale, who scored in the Champions League final, Gareth Bale started here. And by the way, so did Luke Shaw, so did Theo Walcott. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. The factory model of Southampton Football Club is its crowning glory. Discuss. <laughs> um, it's a lot more than Gareth Bale because actually the, uh, the youth system goes back a long, long way, uh, way before uh, the Premier League was invented, which, as, as you know, is when football was invented because obviously nothing existed before the Premier League. We, we've had a, a great track record from the, from the likes of Mike Channon coming through. Um, then obviously in the... the uh, and you know, he wasn't the only one. 
Martin Chillers and so many others in the 70s. Um, then into the 80s, when you, when you had the Wallaces and Alan Shearer and Matt Letizier and uh, Neil Madison, your Francis Benalis, all, the, all those. And then it, it's just kept going. We've had the conveyor belt, as you say, with Luke Shaw and Gareth Bale and Theo Walcott, uh, and now James Ward-Prowse. Uh, there's really too many to... But yeah, you're, I don't know how many in a typical match day squad are graduates of Southampton's academy, but there's a lot of kids nowadays. Yeah, yeah there are. And then there's also been ones that haven't quite made it here, but have still gone on to make very good football careers for themselves in the in the lower divisions. Yeah, so... that's, that's what I'm interested about for my book on the Youth Cup. Just because you don't star for England doesn't mean you don't have a good career having done well in the under-18 tournaments. Absolutely. It's one of the things that always puzzled me about Southampton was when we were having, we really, really did have some great young teams and yet never won the FA Youth Cup. Um, and oh, in those days, obviously, think things were very different. We had the youth team coach was uh, Dave Merrington, who yeah. he had one season yeah. as manager. Uh, but he was a proper, teak tough, gritty, um, no-nonsense Geordie. And I suppose that if you, in, in these days, it would now be classed as, as bullying, I would guess, because he was so tough. He made the apprentices sweep the dressing room. So after a midweek game, they wouldn't get home till, uh, be able to get into the dressing room to, to clean it until 11 o'clock and all the players are gone. And then they'd have to make sure the dressing rooms were spotless. And if there was one sock or one bit of mud left on the, on, on the floor, then they were in, in deep trouble. They'd still be expected in at nine o'clock the following morning. They would have duties. They would have be assigned to a first team pro and look after their kit. And you talk to Matt Letizier and, and Alan Shearer would agree as well um, that Dave Merrington made them what they are because he instilled that mental toughness. And one of the big things about Alan Shearer is is that mental toughness that he's got, um, and that came from that grounding at. At Southampton, I suspect that, that these days that, that it would be seen as being, being bullying. But yeah, I've talked to Matt Letizia about it, and he says it almost certainly would be class as bullying. And yet, he doesn't regret it one little bit. So going back to the FA Youth Cup, we lost an FA Youth Cup tie that absolutely shouldn't have lost. And Dave Merrington had them in at six o'clock the following morning for extra training. And I don't think you would get away with that. Now. You wouldn't get away with it as well because... Young players these days are, are, are all have agents and they'll go, oh, I'll be doing with this and, and move on. Yeah, that, uh, That'll be very interesting for the research. I'd love to talk to Nick Cox and Alex Inglethorpe and Les Reed. Ah, Les Reed, we haven't mentioned. Why not mention him? How, how much of a genius is Les Reed? <laughs> yeah. It's funny, really, though, when you talk to the fans, blaming for the fact that either managers have left or that. You know, things went downhill a little bit. We had some great years with obviously Pochettino and, and Koeman and, and, and brought in some really excellent signings. And then it all started to go a bit wrong. You know, we, we wasted a lot of money on the mm-hmm. likes of Carrillo and uh, Hoot and other players that, that just didn't perform. And we're actually, I think, struggling a little bit financially. It's taken a while to, to get them off the wage bill and yeah. to... As you say, 
next season is, is could be a very difficult one for us, I, particularly if Danny Ings goes. It's, it's a really big dilemma now for the club. Do you cash in on a player or do you keep him for another year, take a gamble on his attitude maybe? Um, well, his attitude is you know, going to be great. Danny... It's not going to be a Ryan Fraser situation. He won't throw toys out of pram because he's got, Hasenhüttl can manage him very well. Yes, I, th- I think so. And I think he's a, he's a different character. But obviously people are still a little bit wary because of the, the whole Virgil van Dijk situation. Oh, where, uh, yeah. Didn't end well. Uh, and that first half in the end, they ended up having to, to sell him in the January because he, he wasn't doing anything for us. The attitude wasn't wasn't great. And obviously as, they, as Liverpool ended up apologising for the uh, whole tapping up procedure, there was clearly an awful lot going on behind the scenes. And once another club has got into a player's head, it's very difficult with the best will in the world for them to maintain their their, their best performances. I think Danny Ings would do that, but do you cash in on him now and try and use some money to, to buy a replacement? Or do you gamble, keep him, hope that you can have a really good season? Because I think we've got the potential there if you were to keep Danny Ings and bring in another striker that could learn from him and work alongside him and put pressure on him and uh, add competition. And if we were to strengthen that, not that there's ever been a club that particularly strengthens, but there's, there's been so many times over the years where you feel that if they just pushed themselves a little bit, we could we could have done a Leicester. I, I, that's the, that mm. was the season was the, the big regret because if you looked at the... If we kept that team together with everyone called Klein and Wanyama and uh, Pella and Lambert, Mane, Mane and Novran, but not the top sure. character, genuinely think we had the talent to have done what Leicester did. 